The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. So we're going to be finishing up our worldview study. I'm not going to do too much review. I think we're just going to pretty much pick up where we left off. We were talking about what are called the preconditions of intelligibility, and that's essentially just prerequisites for knowledge. These are things that make knowledge possible. If you want to go to the next slide. These make knowledge possible. Things like laws of logic. You couldn't know anything if you didn't have a standard of reasoning for things, right? Uh, You couldn't know anything if there wasn't uniformity of nature. And essentially all that is is that nature operates the same way every day. Gravity, we assume, behaved the same way yesterday as it does today. Gravity will continue to behave the same way as it does today. That is uniformity of nature, the idea that laws of nature do not change. And absolute morality. Um, Absolute morality may be confusing why that's up there, but that's simply because absolute morality does exist. And as we discussed, trying to argue against absolute morality assumes absolute moral morality. If I said that morality is relative, that I can make up my own moral standards, well, then you can't tell me what to do. And as soon as people say, you can't tell me what to do, um, you can't tell other people what not to do, what are they doing? They're telling other people what not to do. So that's pretty well self-refuting. You would have to say that morality is absolute because of that. Now, the issue is not that unbelievers don't believe in these things. The issue is that they do. Unbelievers do believe in laws of logic and morality and uniformity of nature. But the issue is that they have no reason to. Only the Bible can account for all of these things. So they're borrowing from a Christian worldview in order to argue against a Christian worldview, and that's not going to work out for them. So I wanted to start with a little bit... I'm going to give you a technical spiel, and then I'll put it into normal language. An ultimate standard, as we discussed last week, is more formally what you would call an axiom. If you want to go to the next slide. The next one. An axiom. And I'm not talking about mathematical axioms. An axiom in logic is just a basic assumption, an irreducible premise, something you cannot appeal to anything higher. Uh, to anything higher from. Uh, Like in mathematics, we can use letters to represent numbers, right? X can be whatever number you want. The letter Y can be whatever number you want. Well, in logic, you can also use letters, and those can be any truth claim that you want. Typically, they'll use P and Q, but they also use other things. Uh, If you go to the next animation, we have truth claims P and Q and um, PQRST. And those arrows represent which one depends on the other. O depends on P, P depends on Q, and so on, all the way to T. So in order to know that O is true, P must be true. In order to know that P must be true, Q must be true, and so on and so forth. But eventually you have to come to a point where you can't go on. You run out of reasons to keep going. And that is your axiom. That is an irreducible premise. Well, how do you know that T is true, though? If T is not true, then you don't know that S is true. If S is not true, if you don't know S is true, then you don't know R. And if you don't know R, you don't know Q, and so on and so forth. You don't know anything. 
if t is not true. If you don't know what t is, you can't know anything. T is what makes knowledge possible. It makes it possible for us to know things. And many things claim to be T. Some people think it's the Quran. The Quran is the highest standard for truth. Some people think it's empiricism. Um, well, that's essentially the scientific method. If you want to know truth, you need to conduct science, do some experiments. If I can't conduct science on it, then I'm not going to count it as true. Some people think that the Bible is T. The Bible is the highest standard for determining truth. Well, in order to show that T is true, you can't appeal to something else. Because then I would just ask you, how do you know that something else is true, right? T somehow needs to be able to prove itself. In other words, it needs to be self-evident or evidence for itself. It cannot appeal to something higher because it, then that wouldn't be your ultimate standard. That other thing would be. T must provide those preconditions we were talking about. It must provide laws of logic, uniformity of nature, and morality. And to put all this into kind of normal words, give you an example, I could ask, how do you know your senses are reliable? Next slide. How do you know that what you see and taste and touch actually corresponds to the universe? That when I see all these people in front of me, that they're actually there, and it's not just my mind playing tricks on me. And you might say, well, because of science. My uh, senses make accurate scientific predictions. Well, then I would have to ask, how do you know science is reliable? How do you know that science is a reliable way for determining truth? And you might say, well, because it's logical. Science is logical. It's rational. It makes sense. But then I have to ask, how do you know your ability to reason is reliable? How do you know that your brain isn't somehow deficient in some way? And you might say, well, because of this other thing. And we'll say this thing is R. In the next slide. How do you know your logic is reliable? And you'll say, because of this thing, whatever it is. But then I have to ask, how do you know that thing is true? And you'll say, because of this other thing. And we'll call that other thing S. But how do you know S is true? Ultimately, you're going to say, because of T. Because of the Bible, because of the Quran, because of empiricism, etc. So that's essentially what this next slide is showing. If you don't know T, you don't know S. If you don't know S, you don't know R, and so on and so forth. Going, and this does apply very prominently to our preconditions. The next slide, please. Laws of logic, uniformity, and morality. And the reason why I want to focus on these is because these are the three big ones. People who argue against the Bible are going to use one of these three things. They'll say the Bible isn't logical in which case they're using God's laws of logic to say that. They may say, well, the Bible's not scientific. It's not scientific, in which case they're relying on uniformity of nature, which is what science depends on. Or God's not moral. He kills innocent people in the Old Testament, in which case they're using God's moral standards to argue against him. They're borrowing from a Christian worldview to defend their own. They're self-refuting, and you can kind of see that demonstrated in the next slide. <laughs> The person planning this attack, and it turns out as soon as he lights the match, it just circles right back around and blows his own worldview up. And just a few more illustrations. Non-Christians do not have a foundation for these three things. These are Christian presuppositions based on the Bible. And because he, cannot, he has nothing to stand on, he's forced to stand on Christian presuppositions. He operates life with laws of logic and morality. That's how he goes through life. All the while attacking Christianity. 
As soon as he tries, he fails. And this, I want to show you how to argue. How do you apply this? How do you argue with someone uh, who's not a Christian and is saying that Christianity is false? And when I say argue, I don't mean being argumentative or rude or anything. I just mean having a discussion, a rational debate. And the Bible does tell us how to do this. In the next slide, Proverbs 26.4 says, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou also be like unto him. And you can see it demonstrated here. Don't answer a fool according to his folly. Essentially, as we discussed, it's saying don't be neutral. Don't operate under his worldview. Don't try and argue for truth using his standards. It would be, to give a silly example, if someone said, I don't believe in words. Prove to me that words exist, but you can't use words because I don't believe in words. It's very similar to people who say, well, I don't believe the Bible. Prove to me the Bible is true, but you can't use the Bible because I don't believe in the Bible. Well, going back to our example with words, the person who doesn't believe in words, I'm not going to sit there and try and do charades to prove words exist and operate under his worldview. What I'm going to do is say, I don't accept your position. I believe words do exist. And hypothetically, if words didn't exist, you couldn't say that they didn't. You just used words to tell me you don't believe in words. And that's what the next proverb says, 26.5 says, Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise unto in his own conceit. And that may sound like a contradiction, but it's not because the sense has changed. The first proverb said, answer not a fool according to his folly. And that is, don't embrace his worldview in order to argue with him. But do answer a fool according to his folly by showing him where it would lead if hypothetically it were true. You're going to reflect his philosophy back at him. In the next slide, just go all the way through this slide. Why do you believe these presuppositions? We all believe in logic and uniformity and morality. But you have to ask, why? How do you know these things are true? So why don't we have a little example here. In the next slide. Someone says, the Bible can't be true. Look at how God kills people in the Old Testament. He kills innocent people. He kills children. The Bible can't be true because of that. Well, answer not a fool according to his folly. Say, in my worldview, God is good, and he cannot do evil. So I do not accept your accusation that God is evil. But, hypothetically, in your worldview, why would that be wrong? Why would it be wrong if God killed people, innocent people, or children? Why is that wrong in your worldview? In my worldview, that's wrong because it's against God's nature. But if you're an atheist or agnostic or have some sort of secular worldview, what's wrong with killing people? You can't use this as an accusation if your own worldview cannot sustain it. We can apply this to logic as well. People say the Bible's not logical. In the next slide, someone may say, well, the Bible can't be true because it has contradictions in it. It has contradictions, so it can't be true. Well, in my worldview, the Bible is God's word. It can't have contradictions. It's infallible. But in your worldview, why would that be wrong? So what if it hypothetically had contradictions? Why would that be wrong? And they might say, well, everyone... Oh, did I get that slide wrong? <laughs> I think I switched it on your slide back there. If you want to go back to the last one. Yeah, okay. Why would contradictions be wrong? And they might say, well, everyone knows contradictions are wrong. And that's true. Most, most people know contradictions are wrong. Some Hindus might disagree with that. But for the most part, we all innately know contradictions are wrong. 
But that's not my question. My question was, why would it be wrong? That is irrelevant to my question. I know contradictions are wrong, but why are they wrong? Why can't two contradictory things both be true? In a biblical worldview, it's because God is truth and God cannot deny himself. Therefore, truth cannot deny itself. That is the law of non-contradiction. But in an evolutionary worldview, how do you know that your reasoning is correct? I may reason that contradictions can't happen. I may not be able to comprehend that with my brain, but my brain is just a chemical accident. If my brain is a chemical accident, how do I know that it developed correctly? It could be that contradictions are true and I just haven't evolved a brain able to comprehend them yet. <laughs> Second of all, in an evolutionary worldview, essentially all your logic is reduced to chemical reactions in the brain. That's all it is. There's no real choice of your thoughts. So how do you know that your chemical reactions are true or false? It doesn't even make any sense. That's like saying, is pink true or false? It's not even a rational statement. Is pink true or false? That's essentially what your logic is. It's chemical reactions. So are chemical reactions true or false? That's not even a rational statement. So in the Christian worldview, we have a reason for the law of non-contradiction, and that is the mind of God. And some people might say, well, you don't need the Bible to be logical or to be moral or things like that. I don't believe in the Bible, and I can be moral. I don't believe in the Bible, and I can be logical. That's true, but that's not my point. My point is, if your worldview were true, you shouldn't be. The fact that you are moral demonstrates your worldview is wrong. If evolution is true, there shouldn't be standards of morality, and yet here we are, all acting under the supposition that there are standards of morality. That's essentially what Paul's argument is in the book of Romans. They do by nature the things that are written on their hearts, and they testify in the way that they live that God is true, that God does exist. When we examine an unbeliever's worldview, we should be looking for three things, and this is called the AIP test. The AIP test. The first um, thing we're going to look for is arbitrariness. Is their worldview based on opinion, or is it actually based on any sort of reason? Do they, do they just think their opinions are good enough to justify their worldview? The next thing we're going to look for is inconsistency. Does the person's position conflict with other parts of their own worldview? Do they have two things in their worldview that are at odds with each other? And then the next thing we're going to look for is P, which is the preconditions, those preconditions for knowledge. Can their worldview justify these preconditions? Can they make sense of them? I'll give you an easy example. We talked about relativism. This, relativism is the belief that all truth is relative. There is no absolute truth, or there are no absolutes. Well, we can apply the AIP test. I would look for inconsistency. Does it can contradict itself? Yeah, well, how does it contradict itself? It's using an absolute statement to tell me there are no absolutes. Does it make any sense? There are no absolutes. There is no absolute truth. That is an absolute statement. So if it were true, it would be false. <laughs> Therefore, it's false. You can skip the next slide. If there were no absolutes, you couldn't say there are no absolutes. We can look at empiricism, same thing. All truth claims are proved by empirical observations. If you can't see it, taste it, touch it, smell it, it's not true. 
Now, I do believe that empirical methods can be used for determining truth, but I would say it's a secondary standard. I do believe some truth claims are answered using the scientific method, but not all truth claims. I would reject the all truth claims are determined by scientific method. But we have to ask, what about the statement itself? Is the statement inconsistent with its own worldview? And the answer is, yes, it is. Did you prove that by empirical observation? Is what I would ask this person. No, he didn't. He's asserting this to be true, but he has not proved it by his own standard. Truth claims are themselves abstract. They cannot be seen. And so it doesn't make sense that all truth claims are proved by empirical methods. Uh, we can look at Hinduism. Now, Hinduism, I should mention, is kind of like Christians. They have their own sects and uh, different beliefs. Uh, but a very common tenet of Hinduism is monistic Mayanism. And that is the statement, all things are an illusion. There's no distinction between mind and matter. What about the statement itself? Is the statement a real statement or is it an illusion? You can't use real statements if all things are an illusion. That doesn't make sense. Another thing that I would point out, if all things are an illusion, well, an illusion is a thing, therefore the illusion is an illusion. And that's just reality. An illusion is something that you misperceive. So that doesn't make any sense. Why don't we skip down to naturalism? It's about three slides away. One more slide. Christians are uh, non-Christians stand on those preconditions while denying Christianity. They're self-refuting. <clears throat> we can also look at naturalism. Naturalism believes that all things must be explained through purely natural processes, purely physical processes. It doesn't matter what it is, we have to explain it with physical processes. But the problem is, if someone says, I'm a naturalist, show me logically how the Bible is true. There's something wrong with that statement, and that is the word logically. Because logic is not part of nature. Laws of logic are not natural. They are not material, they are universal, they are abstract concepts. If you go to the next slide, we discussed the other week how laws of logic are universal, they apply everywhere. No, um, you can't contradict yourself on Earth, right? But it's also not like, oh, but if I go to the moon, then I can contradict myself. No, laws of logic are universal. They are invariant, they don't change from day, from day to day. They are immaterial, if you want to go down. They are immaterial. I can't touch a law of logic. I can't measure its temperature. It's not made of matter and energy. And it is abstract because they deal with concepts. So when the naturalist, in the next slide, says, show me logically how the Bible is true, he is using something that is not um, supported by his own worldview. He's using logic to try and tell me that the Bible is not true, or asking me to use something that his own worldview cannot sustain. To put this more simply, if naturalism were true, you would be unable to make an argument for it. It's like saying, I don't believe in words. Well, if that were true, I wouldn't be able to say that. That's the very same thing with naturalism. If naturalism were true, you would be unable to use logic to make an argument for it. The fact that you can make an argument at all demonstrates it is wrong. That worldview cannot sustain laws of logic.
Again, if someone said, I don't believe the Bible, and I can use logic, so you don't need the Bible to have logic, well, that's no different than someone who, doesn't, who says they don't believe in air. They could say, I don't need air to breathe. I don't believe in air, and I can breathe just fine. Well, I know, but that's not my point. My point is, you may not profess a belief in air, but you can still breathe, because you need air to breathe. You may not profess a belief in the Bible, and still be able to use logic, but my point is the Bible does need to be true in order for you to have logic. No other worldview can account for it. Why don't we skip down to Mormonism? Can other religions make sense of laws of logic? And the answer is no. Uh, go down to Mormonism. There it is. Just a little background. Mormons believe there are infinite number of gods governing their own worlds, and they have bodies like us. Uh, Mormonism has the most gods in its religion than any other religion, because there's just an infinite amount of them. Well, can a Mormon god justify laws of logic? Can it justify those preconditions? And it cannot. Mormons cannot justify the preconditions. The Mormon gods change with time, for example. Mormon gods used to be men and women like us, or actually just men, men like us. And then they became gods later. They evolved into gods because of the life they lived. Well, if laws of logic were contingent on a being that changes with time, I would expect laws of logic would change with time. The Mormon gods are not immaterial. Uh, when a Mormon talks about a spirit, they're not talking about something immaterial. They're talking about what they believe is a highly refined form of matter, like a really fine powder. It's so refined you can't see it. But nonetheless, it is material. Well, why would immaterial entities be contingent on a material being? Why would immaterial laws of logic be contingent on a material god? That doesn't make sense. Uh, Mormon gods are not omnipresent. They have bodies like us. Why would universal laws of logic be contingent on a being that is not universal? And a very pretty much related note, Mormon gods are not universal. They are isolated to their own worlds. One god controls his own world, another god controls their own world. Well, if Mormon gods control their own worlds, maybe they ha all have their own laws of logic. Maybe in this world we have our laws of logic because of our god, but if you go somewhere else in the universe, a different god has different laws of logic. Why would universal laws of logic be contingent on these gods? That doesn't make sense. So Mormonism also cannot account for that, and that's just to demonstrate secular worldviews cannot account for logic, neither can other religions. I do want to leave room for some questions. The Bible tells us that we are to use it in order to defend our worldview. We stand on God's word in order to defend God's word. That's actually what, essentially what God did with Abraham. When God prom made promises to Abraham, he appealed to himself in order to validate his authority. God appealed to his own word. If you go to the next slide, Hebrews tells us, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Ephesians tells us that we war against not flesh and blood, but principalities and dark powers and things. And the, Paul uses the analogy that, again, the word is like a sword. It is something that can be used in an offensive way. Corinthians tells us it is good for the pulling down of strongholds. What strongholds? Well, the strongholds of the false worldviews that unbelievers accept. It is good for pulling those things down. Jeremiah says, is, uh, God says through Jeremiah, 
Is not my word like, a, like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like as a hammer that breaketh the rocks in pieces? Some translations, translations say that dashes the rocks to pieces. Yes, it is. It is good for smashing other worldviews. So I realize this can all be philosophical. It sounds like the past couple of weeks, a good handful of you were understanding all this. But this is something that is important. The Bible tells us we do have an obligation to be logical. Peter tells us that we are always to be ready to have a reason for the hope that is in us. And when he says reason, it is apologia. That's where we get the word apologetics. Apologia is a rational defense. It's not just any reason. It is a rational reason. Also, being rational is part, one of the primary characteristics of being the image of God. God is a rational being, and he made us to be rational beings. That's one of the big things that separates us from the animals. So studying logic is a very Christian thing to do. We ought to be logical. So I would encourage you to further study this. Hopefully most of this made sense. If not, I can answer questions. Do we have any questions? No questions? Okay, let me see. I have other things I prepared to talk about, but I don't know if I want to talk about them now. <laughs> Why don't we go ahead and wrap up if there's no questions? Okay, thank you. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.